0: will you take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 10? The message that I plan for today I uh, want to preach, it's the circle of new life. And this is a message indeed about world evangelism as uh, we were hoping to have the uh, Matthews with us today, but the message is the same. Acts chapter 10 and verse 1, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier, and among those who attended him, from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Many of you remember the movie, The Lion King, where it talks about the circle of life. I want to share with you today the circle of new life. And there is a circle of new life, and it's described here in the book of Acts. There's a man named Cornelius, and he's interested in knowing spiritual truth. He's not a Christian. He's not a a believer, so to speak, but he is interested and he is trying to be devout to whatever he does know. And he was recognized by the Lord, who was one who hungered and thirsted after righteousness. So in a place far from the truth of the gospel, a soul was searching for a truth yet unknown. God saw his plight, and he is going to meet his need. Now there's in a place called Joppa a man named Simon Peter. Simon Peter is a servant of God. He's one of the original disciples, one of the original apostles. And he's staying with some believers in the area nearby the sea, a guy named Simon who was a tanner. And he's busy doing what he knows the work of God to be in his life, not expecting to be called to another place to do God's work, but he has an encounter that changes his whole life and changes his whole ministry. I think it would be prudent at this time to read about the encounter. So we pick up again in Acts chapter 10, now verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now he had seen. Uh, uh, now, <clears throat> while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision, uh, uh, as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry, for Simon's house stood at the gate, and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision. The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? Well, Simon Peter and the other leaders of the church were in a time of struggle. Here's what their struggle was about. They were struggling with what should be held over from the law of Moses and what had been taken away by the cross of Jesus Christ. And they were in a pretty serious conflict about that. They just weren't sure. And it may be that the greatest struggle was what was clean versus what was unclean. There were a lot of regulations in the law about clean and unclean things. There were clean and unclean foods, and there were clean and unclean people. And this was a struggle with the early church under the leadership of the converted Jews. Now Cornelius is someone who would have been considered unclean because Cornelius was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. He was something other than a Jew. That's what you and I are. We are Gentile. So we would be under those circumstances considered as well to be unclean. And so in the Jewish culture, uh, Cornelius was considered unclean. But God is going to make a a point to Simon Peter about a mission that he would have him to do and about a new day in the work of God. And so God used a centuries-old legalistic regulation to teach Simon Peter's a very important spiritual lesson, a lesson that I want us to learn and I want this church to remember long after I'm gone. First of all, the vision. God was not just changing Simon Peter's diet. God was reprogramming Simon Peter. Now, Simon Peter had been born again. Simon Peter was a follower of Jesus Christ. He had received the Lord. He had followed him. He had made that, that heart decision to follow Jesus. But he had still the old programming in his system regarding the Jewish law. And to God, the Jew was not clean and the Gentile unclean but both the jew and the gentile were unclean and in need of salvation in need of redemption and so god was making a point to simon peter about the situation <clears throat> regarding the need among the gentiles or those people that were thought to be unclean god knew that they were all unclean romans 11:32 for god has consigned all to disobedience <coughs> that he may have mercy on all. So here we have a truth that is in Scripture that is being revealed to Simon Peter really for the very first time. The Gentile does not need to become a Jew in order to go to heaven, nor the Jew need to become a Gentile in order to go to heaven. Both the Jew and the Gentile are sinners, and they needed to become Christians in order to go to heaven. So there was no advantage of one over the other because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us all from unrighteousness. So Peter was learning this on the rooftop in his time of hunger and prayer. The first thing I want us to look at in regard to the vision is this time of prayer that Simon Peter was in. And again in verse 9, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Now Simon Peter had a place of prayer and he had a time of prayer. This was part of his habit of regular prayer, and this happened multiple times each day. The housetop, literally the roof, was the place above the upper room. It was the very highest place, and it was the quietest, perhaps the quietest and most peaceful place that uh, was in a typical household or a typical house. You probably have a place that is the quietest place for you. You probably have a place in your house where you go to read or you go to just sit and be quiet or you go to pray or you watch television by yourself or or you just go and and, uh, do whatever it is that you do when you're in your quiet place. Most people have a little getaway. Some guys refer to it as a man cave. Uh, my wife, her getaway place is—we uh, have a closed-in back porch, and she'll go to the back porch. I have a study in our house. We all have these getaway places. These are the places where we take a nap and, and do all of those other kinds of things that require just our personal quiet place. Leonard Ravenhill said in Why Revival Tarries, he said, No man is greater than his prayer life. Poverty-stricken, as the church is today, in many things— She is most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. We have many players and payers, but few prayers. The ministry of preaching is open to a few, but the ministry of prayer is open to all. And so Simon Peter was in his place of prayer, a place where you and I should find ourselves. Jewish converts like Simon Peter had been people of religion They had been people of regular habit, and there's nothing wrong with routine and habit. Sometimes we say, well, I just don't want to do something out of routine. There are routines that are good, and the routine of prayer is a good routine. And the Jewish uh, people had a uh, daily time of praying out of duty and obligation. But now they have been saved by the grace of God. And now they still pray, but they pray for different reasons. This is why Simon Peter was on top of the roof praying at the sixth hour. This is the second time of prayer in his day, and it is noonday or midday. It's his midday prayers. This was a time of prayer. But since it was noon, it was also a time of appetite. Now, some of you uh, are thinking about where you're going to go to eat after the church service today or what you're going to have. In fact, you may have talked about it on the way in. Some of you love to come to this church because we always beat the Methodists to the restaurant and you just like <laughs> the fact that we get out at a good time and and so on. Now, Simon Peter was at a time of appetite and he was hungry. He wanted something to eat. He was hungry because it was time to eat. It was noon. Now I want to give you two sides of hunger that apply to Simon Peter. First of all, there's the bother of hunger. Now, I think that might sound a little strange to you, but let me fill you in. Being hungry can be a bother if we're too busy to eat, or if we're away from a place to get something to eat, or if we have to prepare it for ourselves. That's a bother. It's a bother to to eat sometimes. When we aren't feeling well and we know that we're supposed to eat and somebody says here I brought this you need to eat sometimes that's a bother uh, to eat. I'm not sure that Simon Peter was bothered by his hunger but he certainly noticed his hunger and he was having a hard time praying because he was hungry and this was the time he was supposed to eat. He may have thought it was the hunger, but the hunger was actually leading him to something else. The bother of hunger was leading him to the blessing of hunger. There's a bother and there's a blessing in hunger. Now, here's something interesting that Jesus said about hunger. He said in Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, that's what The Bible says in the ESV and the KJV, they shall be filled. This is a verse from the Beatitudes, and it's uh, about the spiritual hunger that we should have in our lives. But it says something, it's a declarative statement actually, about regular hunger in our lives. The word shall is an imperative, and here's what that means. It simply means that something will be done. Something will come to pass. Blessed are you if you are hungry and if you thirst, for you will get something to eat and something to drink. You will be filled. Uh, Let me just give you a little illustration of that. If you're hungry enough, you'll eat anything. I mean absolutely anything if you're hungry enough. We remember that from our school days. Do you remember going home after school? And some of you who are still in school, do you remember going home and you think about going home after school? And there's one thing on your mind, it's not getting your homework, it's not uh, cleaning up your room, it's not a lot of other things. There's one thing on, on your mind and that is, I'm hungry, I need to get something to eat. And that's the first thing on your mind. Now when I was growing up, we didn't have all of the little places you could stop and And, you know, get chicken nuggets and all the kind of things that you can get today uh, just about on every corner. When I was growing up, what we had was a refrigerator and a couple of cabinets. We didn't even have what was called a pantry. We just had a couple of (coughs) couple of, of cabinets. Now, sometimes when I would go home, mother had some good stuff that I could eat. But that wasn't usually the case at our house. We didn't have a lot of good stuff to eat at our house, usually, because I'm the last of nine children. My daddy was very frugal. My parents didn't have a lot of money, so we didn't have anything, very much to eat. However, when I came home after school, I was hungry. So you know what I ate? I have eaten more than one uh, ketchup sandwich. I have eaten more than one mustard sandwich. I can remember eating a mayonnaise sandwich. And if I wanted to walk on the wild side, I would combine the two. How many of you have ever eaten something like that? Would you raise your hand? Okay. You know what that means? That means that you were hungry enough that you would be filled. You will get something to eat. Here's what the Bible is teaching us, that when we are hungry enough for spiritual things, we will be filled. God brought Simon Peter in a time of hunger and he is going to teach him a spiritual lesson that's going to fill his life for the rest of his life. Verse 11 again, and he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals, reptiles and birds of the air. Now there were all kinds of things to eat And many things that he would have never eaten being a Jew. These animals had been sent from God. And Peter may have never even considered eating them had he not been so hungry. But he was hungry. He was really hungry. And he looked at them. And Peter's hunger had prepared the way for a point to be made in his life. Peter's hunger had prepared a way for there to be a powerful vision in his life. And this was the vision but, but, uh, that came to Simon Peter. He saw these animals that he considered to be unclean. Now, after the vision, there came the voice. There's the vision and the voice. And he says, "Rise!" and there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, this was a big mistake on the, the part of Simon Peter, because it was the voice of God that was speaking to him. It was the voice of actually Jesus who was talking to him. It was a recognizable voice. He knew exactly who <clears throat> was talking to him because he said, by no means, Lord. He had heard that voice before. There was a time when he heard that voice say that he would deny even knowing the one who owned that voice. And there was another time when he heard that voice, ask him three times, Simon Peter, do you love me? Oh, he knew the voice. He knew exactly who was talking to him. It was Jesus talking to him. That sheet had been let down, and Jesus' voice had said to him, you go ahead and eat. And he said to Jesus, not so, Lord. I don't think I'll do this. So there was a conflict that he had, with the command that was given him to rise and eat. Now even though Peter's refusal was in the most polite of terms, he was still wrong. (coughs) You, You can say no, and you can say Lord, but you can't say no Lord back to back. Because when you say no Lord back to back, literally you're saying you have no Lord. Because the Lord is the one that you obey and you say yes to. If you have a Lord, and we do, Jesus Christ, then we say yes to our Lord, regardless of how we think about it, regardless of how we feel about it, regardless of what it seems like to us. Zig Ziglar was a a very famous man. Some of you, many of you should know of Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar wrote, he said, I've been a member of two churches in my life. My first church sent me out to to bring my teaching gift to my second church. I went not only with their blessing, but by their calling, not the calling of the second church, but by the calling of the first church. Let me explain. He goes on. Dr. Criswell at First Baptist Church of Dallas told me that Dr. Jack Graham at Prestonwood Baptist in Plano, Texas needed my ministry. I resisted at first, but then I relented. I reasoned that Dr. Criswell wasn't trying to get rid of me. We were great friends, expressed our love for each other, and had never had the, even the slightest hint of disagreement. I was submitted to him as my pastor and to the other leaders of the church, and they sent me to Prestonwood, and I finally realized that God wanted to use me there in a greater capacity than at First Baptist Church of Dallas. I believe in commitment. I believe that you Don't allow upset, disagreement, jealousy, discouragement, or selfishness be the guiding light of your life. People who allow these things to guide their lives search the lordship of disappointment, or serve the lordship of disappointment, smallness and unending failure. Jesus is my guiding light. He knows better than me. He makes the best choices choices for the direction of my life. Now, what's true of that great man, Zig Ziglar is true of you and it's true of me. Our Lord and Savior makes the best choices for our lives. We teach our children to make good choices. But the only way to really make good choices is for them to know the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to choose within the will of God. To choose what God, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) pardon me, Thank you for that little cut off. Cut off one more time. I've been, I've been getting over a cold. In fact, Jan and I have been swapping it back and forth. And I've told her to leave me alone. Now she has it again. And now it's coming back to me. So this is not just a frog, <clears throat> this is a diseased frog that <clears throat> is in my throat. Now all of us <clears throat> serve some Lord, all of us do. We have some Lord in <clears throat> our lives. For some, the Lordship life is about what we've always known. That's the, <clears throat> the Lord of our lives, the familiar, the comfortable Uh, the proven and the approved. That's the Lord of our lives. In in church, we we call it this. This is the way we've always done it. That's the Lord of our lives. The Lord of our lives is the way that we've always known, the way we've always done, and the way that we think it ought to be. That's the Lord. That's the Lord that some people serve. Now, this was the mistake that Simon Peter made. Because when that sheet was lowered down and he saw those animals and he was to kill and eat, he said, no, no that's not the way that I've done it. That's not the way that it, <clears throat> that it should be done. That's not familiar in my life. And he even called the will of God unclean. And when he did, he heard something from what I put down as a convincing commander. He heard something completely different. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been scolded by God? I can remember being scolded by the Lord. I don't like being scolded at all, but I sure don't like being scolded by the Lord. But Simon Peter was scolded. In verse 15, the voice came to him again and said, what God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and then it was taken up into heaven. This is what Simon Peter heard, even as God was sending Gentile messengers from Cornelius to Simon Peter. God had heard the prayers of a man named Cornelius who was a devout man but was not a Christian. And he knew that this devout man wanted to hear more. And so while the devout man was uh, uh, responding to God and had sent messengers, God had prepared now Simon Peter to understand that there is to be an answer for somebody that he has not even met. What Peter is about to learn is that people, all people, need the Lord. And no one, no people or person is outside the reach of God. God opened the path of righteousness through the blood of Calvary's Lamb, and now Peter would open a door that has led to many other doors being opened. And let me tell you what doors. Even the doors that reach to you and me. You have to understand that on that housetop that day when Simon Peter said, Not so, Lord. And the Lord said, Don't you call unclean the things that I have cleaned. That in that encounter that day, as he was preparing Simon Peter to go and find Cornelius, he was opening a door that would eventually find you and me. He was preparing a path that would come to you and a path that would come to me. We've seen the vision and we've seen the voice. Let's see finally the the vessel. Again to review verse 17. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he might, uh, had seen might mean, behold the men who were sent by Cornelius having made inquiry for Simon's house stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Now you have to understand here that you had Jesus talking in this vision, and now you've got uh, the Spirit talking in this vision. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? Now, this is a very interesting thing. We are vessels, vessels to be used in the service of the king. It is important for us to understand the process that God has used in moving his servant vessel, Simon Peter, to the need of the lost man, the man named Cornelius. First of all, you have the calling. The verse from Acts uh, chapter 17 shows us how the the cry of, of the lost leads to the call of a believer. In verse 9, Acts chapter 16, excuse me, and verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now look, if God calls us if God calls us, it is because someone else is calling him. That is a very important principle that you should get. If God calls you, he, he is hearing the call of somebody else. God will not lead us to an empty need. He is not going to waste his time And he is not going to misuse our time. So if God calls us, he is calling us to someone who is calling him. The one in need, the one calling for help may be obscure, but that doesn't mean that that one is unimportant. There may be only one for you to reach, but the impact of that one may be more than you could have ever dreamed. It may be that as you are having a, a, a divine appointment and, and somebody else is expressing to God a need and God is expressing to your heart that you should uh, move in this direction or that direction and He is guiding you <clears throat> to meet that need, you should understand that even if you only reach one person, that one person may be a key person that God intends to use in a fantastic way or even in a way beyond what you could even dream as, uh, and not maybe not on a grandiose scale. Let me give you the story of a, a guy named Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a was instrumental in leading a man to the Lord whose name was Dwight L Moody. Dwight L Moody was a great servant of God, who was used in leading J. Wilbur Chapman to the Lord. J. Wilbur Chapman attended Dwight L. Moody's evangelistic meeting in the 1870s, and he received personal counseling and assurance of his salvation (coughs) from D. L. Moody himself, who had been led to Christ by Edward Kimball, who was actually a shoe salesman. He later, that is... uh, (coughs) J. Wilbur Chapman later became a friend and a co-worker of D.L. Moody. And he began to be involved in evangelism with D.L. Moody. And in the course of their evangelistic work, they hired a former baseball player whose name was Billy Sunday. Now, the guy's name was Edward Kimball, who had led D.L. Moody to the Lord, who had led J. Wilder. Wilbur Chapman to the Lord, who now had engaged uh, in, in ministry with a man <clears throat> named Billy Sunday. And so Billy Sunday began to uh, be the advanced man for D.L. Moody and for J. Wilbur Chapman. And Billy Sunday held an evangelistic campaign in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1924. And there was a men's prayer and fellowship group that was originally known as Billy Sunday's Layman's Evangelistic Club and later (coughs) was renamed the Charlotte Businessman's Club, CBMC. And that grew out of the meetings that Billy Sunday held in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina uh, as a result of Billy Sunday's association with J. Wilbur Chapman who had been saved because of the ministry of D.L. Moody who was saved because of the witness of Edward Kimball. A shoe salesman, and it was from this group, the CBMC, they invited a man to preach in Charlotte and hold a campaign. This group that was started by Billy Sunday, uh, who had become an associate associate of J. Wilbur Chapman, who was led to the Lord by D. L. Moody, who was led to the Lord by Edward Kimball. They called this this CBMC group called a man to. Uh, have an evangelistic meeting in 1934 in the Charlotte area. This man's name was Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham came and preached an evangelistic meeting in Charlotte, North Carolina at the CBMC, which was organized by Billy Sunday, who had become an associate of J. Wilbur Chapman, who had been led to Christ by D.L. Moody, who had been led to Christ by a shoe salesman named Edward Kimball. And so in 1934, Mordecai Ham preached a sermon in that evangelistic meeting. And there was a 16-year-old boy, a 16-year-old young man who got saved that day. He went forward and received Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. There he is up on the screen. His name was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham then, Billy Graham has preached all over the world and seen millions upon millions upon millions of people saved. Now I want to tell you something. God used a man named Edward Kimball to speak to a young man named Dwight L. Moody who had some sort of an inquiry about spiritual things. And Edward Kimball was able then to share with him the gospel. And he was saved. And then J. Wilbur Chapman was saved, who became an associate of of Billy Sunday who preached a uh, meeting and organized a Bible club in Charlotte, North Carolina, who asked Mordecai Ham to come and preach. And Mordecai Ham came and preached, and in 1934, the man who may well be the greatest evangelist of all time was saved at the age of 16 because a shoe salesman was used of the Lord. Don't underestimate it. Never discount the need to which God is calling you. Some child in that nursery may one day lead a soul to Christ who will reach across the street and around the world in a way that's been, never been done before. Never go to your Sunday school class or to your greeting assignment or your work as an usher. Never do any of that without the understanding that someone across whose path you may come today may be having a calling to God and God may be leading you to them to answer the need that they've been talking to him about. If that need is met, that same person may be the next great missionary or Christian leader. Who knows who it may be? But I'm telling you that there is forever a calling that is going on. And you know what else? There's a caller. Who is the caller? There are two dangers when it comes to being called of God. There's the danger of us trying to call someone else's life. And then there's the danger of refusing God's call in our life. I cannot and do not want to be the call in your life. Some of you teenagers, some of you who are... um, Not teenagers anymore, but some of you may experience the call of God on your life. I will not be the call of God on your life. God could use something that this preacher says, just like he used something a a preacher said in, in Orlando, Florida so many years ago when he called me. But I will not be God's call. God's still calling people. He's still the caller. I'd like to see many young people and those who are not so young yield themselves to a calling of God on your life, but the Holy Spirit does the calling just like he called me 44 years ago. There are many who have been called but have failed to answer. They have been called to serve God with their lives and careers or they have been called to work with children or youth in the church or perhaps something else. They have been called and and the problem is not with the calling and the problem is not with the caller. Oftentimes the problem is with failing to heed the call. I rarely answer the phone at home because I've got caller ID And I know who it is that's calling. And usually it's somebody that says, you don't want to answer this thing. And I have got the do not call dot gov and all of that kind of thing, but somehow or another they slip through the cracks and, and all of that kind of thing. But I see who's calling and I don't answer. However, when I see the call, come through from a name that I know or somebody that I should respond to I answer the call and could I say this to you that there are many who have gotten themselves in a position of just not answering the call when it's God calling they just not heeded the call, and failing to heed the Spirit's call means that we miss God's highest and best for our life. And Simon Peter had Simon Peter stayed with this attitude of not so Lord, he would have missed the blessing of of being the vessel who opened the door to the great work of the church today, to the great work of missions that reaches to even you and to me. And that day when he answered the call, it opened the door for my salvation at age eight years old, because he answered the call. Finally, there is the called. God did not save any of us. I want to say this very clearly. God did not save any of us without giving us a calling on our lives. Sometimes that's a calling, is a career like mine, and other times it's a calling to work Uh, through your local church and serving Jesus but God has called us in our lives to serve him imagine what God could do with your life if you could be hungry enough to see what he has put before your very eyes if you had could be hungry enough to open the door and say what do you have in here for me God who's crying out to God today Who's calling to God and saying, God, I need an answer for my life? And while they're calling to God, God is speaking to you and saying, I want you to go and give the answer to that life. You can't go to heaven without becoming a born-again believer. And you can't be a born-again believer without having a Christian purpose. You're on the other end of some sinner's prayer. You are completing the circle of new life. God is speaking to you to take nourishment and to begin your service for him. And it could be across the street or it may be around the world. But there's not one for whom there's not a call from God. Jesus is tenderly calling today.